0: This programme was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawks Bay, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. Righto, kick it in the guts, Trev.
1: Kia ora, you're listening to Radio Hawks Bay, and this is a programme called Made in New Zealand where we talk to artists and writers and musicians. And Christina Sanders is our guest today. And Chris, were you made in New Zealand?
0: I was made in New Zealand. I popped out in Wellington Hospital quite a long time ago, so born and bred in Wellington.
1: But you haven't always lived here, have you?
0: No, I'm, uh, I seem to have a foot in two camps. I went away like Kiwis do um, for my OE a few times, actually. I went to Japan for a year, and then I came back, and then I went to uh, Europe. We really just were escaping for a few months, and I ended up spending 20 years most of which was in England. Mm. So kind of a big chunk of my adult life has been sent, spent in the UK. So kind of foot in both camps, I think. Yeah, I've got an idea of how it feels to live on both sides of the world.
1: Yeah. Did you watch the Queen's funeral? No. Okay.
0: <laughs> no, I I, yeah, I, I, no, I didn't. No, it's not really. stuff. stuff's not really for me. I, yeah, uh, fair enough. I listened to it on the news a bit and then turned it off and yeah. put in some loud music instead. Historic moment. Yeah, it was a very historic moment, a very interesting moment, I think. I mean, it's the end of a... Very long reign. And I kind of think we'll look back and, and think like when Victoria died, that mm. marked a huge change. Yes. And I don't know if this will be quite so dramatic, but it is a, a big point in history. Um, yeah. I don't have any.
1: It's raising some questions as well, isn't it? About it, is. Republica- it is. It its colonialism And Republica. Yeah. It is. Well, yeah, in
0: a different sense than it has been done before. I don't know mm. the Queen has much to do anymore with um, how we function as a nation, particularly, but not yeah, there all will all be changes. Yeah, and, a figurehead, but a figurehead. so I think yeah, in the political sense, um, big day, in the personal sense, of me sitting around watching, uh, people for hours, standing, crying, about and saying, oh, I met her once. Yeah, I think oh yeah, not you know. so much for so, you. Have you? <laughs> you know, no, not for me. No.
1: So you are an author of three novels. So yes. Jerningham came first. And then we had Displaced and your recent novel, Mrs. Jewel and the Wreck of the General Grant has been out for a couple of months. A couple of months, published in June. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about the novels in a moment, but you've been in this book writing publishing world for a long time, eh?
0: I, yeah, I was kind of born into it. I grew up in a bookshop and my parents had the Gateway Bookshop in Wellington. Perfect. And the Commercial Union Arcade. It was lovely. It was um, a great place to grow up. And we had um, a... uh, a store they called it opposite I think above where the Dominion Post is now and there was a, a lift that you had to pull the old wire cage apart to go up to the first floor. Oh I love those and kind this of lifts. And dusty old yeah. warehouse and all the books came in there. We had bundles of books that were bought in from uh, England because you couldn't get them in New Zealand in those days and my job was to open all the books and put a little stamp on them and put the price on them and then Get chocolate biscuits for my wages. So it was good. good living the dream, really. <laughs> well, I know,
2: yeah.
0: Um, so I became a, a, a reader early on. My parents would sort of throw books at me and tell her customers, oh, Chrissy thinks it's good. So mm. I was a book reviewer way back, probably before I could even write. Um, That's great. Yeah. And then I did work in publishing for a few years as well. Um, and then sold out and went to get a job that paid me some money.
1: Yes, yes. We don't do a lot of book world stuff for the money, do we? No, yeah. no, <clears throat> we don't. But um,
0: yeah, glad to be back in the world again. It's, yeah. um, I kind of feel I do belong here. Yeah, I feel. Um, I feel comfortable talking about writing and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And so, what was the genesis of Jerningham, your first novel? What year did that come out?
0: That came out in 2020. Yeah, but I wrote it in um, 2018 during. Uh, my postgraduate diploma mm. which I did down at fiterea with Mandy Hager, yeah. and it was just an extraordinary year, just one of the best years of my life, I think it was great and I went down to Wellington every weekend and we sat round the table with a whole bunch of students and we analysed each other's books and researched and worked together and it was a really great introduction to being a writer, I think mm. we talked a lot about craft and during that year I wrote Jurningham. Um I don't know why really why I picked historical fiction. I'm not a historian. I never liked history at school. I didn't know anything about New Zealand history. So it's been a kind of journey for me, learning my history and making sense of it, writing a book at the same time. Mm. So people, because I know quite a lot now about that period of history, people think I know all about all of New Zealand history, but I don't. I have these tiny little pools of knowledge. Um, But yeah, so it was kind of a, a... self-exploratory year when I was learning about um kind of delving back from my own family because I started looking at my own family who came in 1872 I thought well how did the place get to where it was in 1872 what were the influences that made it as it was and made the people as they were in 1872 so I went back and found Jerningham and found the first colony and thought oh he's an interesting man
1: Yes, so Jerningham Wakefield, so the the very um, famous Wakefield family of mm. the New Zealand company, mm. Jerningham almost the wild child,
0: definitely the wild child. I think he's the first wild boy of Wellington because the rest were all stuffy shirts. And Jerningham put on his battered manila hat and went travelling. So really interesting character, and he's um, called a, a wastrel and a scoundrel and, and promiscuous and. and um, intelligent but wild and, and all this sort of thing. But actually, he was a very intelligent man. The book he wrote is extraordinary, not only in the breadth and the depth of what he did in New Zealand, the people he met and the conversations he had, but also his literary genius. I mean, he was a brilliant writer. Mm. Um, and it's it's a story, I think, full of pathos. He, he, just, he was a poor motherless child, mm. and he went very wrong. And I kind of think it could have been very different. Yeah. And he, he could have done very good things in New Zealand if he'd had... Guidance. A bit of guidance. A bit of guidance. I mean, the kid was only 19 and they send him off and say, you know, go and buy taranaki. I think, yeah. well, you know, 19 year old. It's incredible, isn't it? It is. Isn't it's it? crazy. It's yeah. crazy. And no wonder we got it all so wrong if that's. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's a really good point you make. And I think the, um, the sort of pre colonial Wellington, poor Nikki, Mm. whanganui mm. whatever we're going to call call it um really came to life for me because you talk about those first ships arriving at pita Oni, yeah and
2: Pitha-Uni, there are
1: yeah. being um hapu and iwi along the shore just going oh hey there's a boat welcome yeah and it, yeah. And it kind of, yeah come on yeah and we'll show you how we how we roll here and then oh there's another boat yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> well another that's what i love boat. about the cover of the book with the big um, there's, a, there's a settler talking to a group of Maori standing on a hill. This is yeah. from the drawing by Hefe that he did. Yeah. Which, again, was very... um is designed as propaganda for the New Zealand company. So you've got this beautiful picture with the um, the happy clutch of natives on the hill talking to the colonial... You know, it's a very lovely yeah. setting. Yeah, And their backs are to what's going on in the background, which is this huge shadow of colonialism in the form of and coming over the hill. Yeah. Um, and that was Raka Karateana, a local man, who designed that cover yeah. for me. And I just think it just picks up that whole feeling of those first easy days of colonialism where they did get on so well. Yeah. And then it started with the you know the removal of the the, the stakes, you know the surveying stakes and things and we thought oh maybe this isn't quite as um as genial as we like to think yeah. and things are and that, that sort of just the beginning of things going wrong.
1: Yeah, the first signs of anti-colonial mm. activism. Yeah and, yeah, and
0: and misunderstandings, you know yeah. the they just I mean a lot of it was misunderstanding. I think sometimes we think it was, um, yeah, colonialism was perhaps, perhaps more um, uh, thought out in advance than it was. It wasn't really that premeditated. I think a lot of it was just stupid people doing stupid things and getting it wrong all the time.
1: Yep. Quote, That's it. Yeah, quote unquote, love it. That's it, in a nutshell, <laughs> isn't it? Um, and then came Displaced, and you've won an award for Displaced. That's, I did, um,
0: the Tessa Duda Award. Yeah, tell us yeah. about that. Yeah, I I kind of wrote that book I wrote most of it before I wrote Jerningham because to get onto the course to do um, the Fiterrea course, I had to show that I could write a novel, show mm. that I was up for it. So I thought, oh, God, I've never written a novel. So I, start to, I, I wrote most of Displaced looking at my family history. Again, this interest in how people came to New Zealand, what they thought, what they were leaving behind, what they thought they'd find. These interesting things, I think, to do with colonialism. Mm. Um, and that idea of b- displacement, not only – them being displaced from their homes, but displacing other people when they came here. So all these thoughts, I I kind of started to weave that into a story. And then after I wrote Journingham, I went back to Displaced with what I knew, with what I'd learned about how to craft a story and Mm. and dismantled the whole thing and wrote it again. And then, yeah, Gareth was the one who suggested that I should go and send... This is Gareth Ward. Gareth um, Ward. Gareth Ward, Mm. um, who suggested I should put it into the Tessa Duda Storylines Award. And bingo. Surprise, surprise. Ta-da. Yeah, I was quite surprised by that, but they liked it. And um, yeah, it was published then by Walker Books and has been shortlisted for another couple of awards. Mm. So,
1: I think it's very right. important, that Tessa Duda Award, because they don't award it every year. They mm. only award it when they think there is a manuscript that really, really deserves it because your prize is a publishing contract. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So all kudos to you. Thank That's you. That's obviously really, really blown some minds there.
0: Well, I've just finished the sequel, and that's with a publisher coming out next year. Is
1: that with Walker as well?
0: No, that's gone to Cuba again. Oh, great. Because I love yeah. Cuba Press. Yeah, yeah, you've
1: worked very well with them, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, they've been great. So your background is Scandinavian.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yep, the Norwegians from South um, South Norway, which was part of Sweden at that time, and they were starving. They were. Um, they had a series of very bad winters. It was cold. They were living as peasants on this farm, and they couldn't feed their families, and this dude turns up from New Zealand, mm. um, uh, Freiburg, who was sent over by Vogel. They were looking for people to clear the Man of a Two of trees. And they said, Do you want to sit here and have your children starving to death? Or would you like to jump on a boat, come out to New Zealand and um, cut down trees? Mm. And I think that for me, that's quite important that people, you know, I look at them and I think, Oh, my God, my forebears came and chopped down those beautiful forests. But people do what's right at the time in history. Yeah. And it's full of these things. You think, How could they do it? Well, they did it because they had to. You know, it was, mm. it was the best thing for the family at the time. So a boatload, two boatloads actually came over 150 years ago last week.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So
0: there's a big festival in um, a couple of weeks down in Norsewood celebrating it. Yeah. Um, they came over and walked down to Norswood and there you go. Yeah. That was the start of the story. But I didn't really know the Norwegians well enough to tell their story. So I invented another family that travels with them and kind of Wove an imaginary story. Yeah, and it's are. fiction, and you can. You can. You can do whatever you like. I can.
1: And, um, and you have researched that well because they are honored. So you've got Eloise and her Cornish family. Yes. And then Lars and and, and, the, Norwegians and the Norwegians in the under bit of the boat. Yes, swilling oh, about together. Decks, thank you. Yeah, yeah below decks, see, yeah. the under bit of the boat. Yeah. I am not a mariner, clearly, <laughs> as you are um so a, a novel that deals with the real
0: people <laughs> you yes. know the
1: on the ground people who don't have the choices of say the
0: Wakefield family. exactly yeah. exactly but I think interesting in that the point of that book, the displacement idea is that um New Zealand in those early days was a place where you could reinvent yourself mm. and everybody did and a lot of the things that people called themselves, a lot of the claims they made when they came here, probably weren't true. Yeah. But they could just, you know, they didn't, they couldn't sort of ring up somebody in England and say, "Is this true?" Mm. You could really be who you wanted. So there was a big, and also Louise's family. Um, not, um, yeah, Louise's family dropped. They were quite a high social status mm. in England, and then things went wrong. They lost their farm. They came out. They had to, you know, things went wrong with the family, and yeah. they. Um, found themselves destitute mm, so yeah. these changes happened quite fast a lot i think again with immigration that interesting change in people's lives that is kind of a good call for a story i think mm. change and displacement and things yeah. so lars's family came over they worked hard the norwegians did and we all the scandies they just you know worked like crazy mm. and um managed to over the couple of generations um bring themselves up and yet the english um This particular family didn't. Mm. So I thought I like that idea of families reinventing themselves when they come out. And it kind of almost gets to be a meritocracy within the Pākehā. So people are um, perhaps not who they claim to be when they come out, but eventually become who they really are when they arrive.
1: Yeah, interesting, for, for good or ill. Yes, for good out, or ill. Especially yeah. for Eloise's family there. Yeah. Um, and then your latest novel's been out for a little while now, Mrs. Jewell and the Wreck of the General Grant. I love that cover. cover. I love that
0: cover as well, isn't it yeah. beautiful?
1: Yeah, the forbidding uh, coast of the Auckland Islands there, in vivid yellow and purple. And so this is 1866, and Mrs. Jewell recently married young woman. Yep. Um, she could have gone down a very dire path. She, she could have done. And she marries Mr. Jewel. funnily yep. enough. Yep. And, um,
0: Great name, eh? Yeah, oh, it's just fantastic. I mean, you're writing about a gold ship and you have yeah. a, a hero called Mrs. Jewel. Like, how, how good does it get?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just, just give us a bit of a plot synopsis with no spoilers.
0: Um, the lovely thing about history is it's full of spoilers, so you can just look it up on the internet True, and I find suppose, the spoilers. Yeah. Um, the ship left in May 1866 with Captain Lachlan at the helm carrying a lot of gold from the mines in Australia. They were all miners. There's also a lot of rumours about other gold on board. We know there were two treasure chests in the captain's cabin, as well as what the miners were carrying. But also they could have been carrying gold from the Bank of Melbourne for the Bank of England. So the New South Wales Bank was looking for someone to transport gold because the ship that was meant to had gone down. And this was a big American ship that could have transported the gold. So there's rumours that there was a lot more gold on the ship than was on the manifest. So um, this is all historical fact. Uh, so, oh, fact is such a dodgy word. Yes. You can't use that word fact. So There's nothing is, about this is fact. Yeah. Um, but there are rumors, a lot of rumors that have slight foundations in fact. Based on real life events. Based on yeah, based on well, even that, based on what people say were real life events at the time. Mm. So very confusing what's true and what's not in this whole story. Yeah. But it left with an amount of gold, quite a big amount of gold. And um, seven days in the fog came down. They were doing the big, the great circle route from Melbourne through to, back to England, round the south of South America. And the fog came in, and ten days in, where they should have been clear all the way by then. Nothing between them and South America. Um, the lookout calls land on the port bow, mm. and they square the yards and. We're not quite sure which way the wind's blowing and what side of the island they go on. It's all a bit confusing here. Different people say different things. Mm. But they went on for a wee while, and there was land on the starboard bow. So you've got land on both sides, a huge 30-mile wall of cliffs in front of you, and they lost the wind. So the boat goes back and forward, gets sucked into a cave. The mast scratches against the ceiling. The tide goes in, the boat um, goes, breaches the hull, and the boat sinks, and gold in the pockets of all the people. The people go down quite fast. Yeah. Except for uh, 15 who get into two little rowboats and, according to them, rowed around um, all the way across the front of this cliff face and land up in a little place called Port Ross on the top of the island. And 18 months later, some of them are rescued. Mm. So my book is really this, that what happens in between that time and filling in the gaps. And I had quite a lot to go on. There were four testimonies from survivors um, pretty, uh, some—it's a bit of a polished retelling, I think. But um, there are some, a lot of things I can use there to perhaps get a theory of what happened. Mm. Um, but there have also been other people who um, wrecked on the island about the same time. So I've kind of combined some of what they did and to make a story, a plausible story of yep. what might have happened. And I threw a Victorian woman into the mix and yes. try to work out what happened to Mrs. Jewell because none of the stories mention her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And she's the only woman yeah. on the island. Yeah. With 14 men? 14 men. One yeah. of her
0: husband and 13 others miners and sailors, sort of half yeah. and half miners and sailors. So probably quite a rough lot. Yeah. Mm. And she's
1: gone from this incredibly hopeful situation of mm. gold sewn mm. into her skirts. And, mm. and off she goes with her new husband. And they're in love. They, they, and
0: they're in love. Yeah. Yes. And um, they're going back to find a home in Clavelly Yeah. Which is lovely. And that's all true. You know, he... Joseph Jewell came from a family of mariners in Clevalley and that's it's all quite well known. And I've talked to the descendants of the Jewels.
2: Oh, and descendants of
0: some of the other people. Yeah, it is it is amazing their stories. And she came from quite a um a rougher family. I think her father's a bricklayer in Manchester, so mm. um she's done good. She's found a, a lovely man that she's in love with and he's rich and they're going home. Yeah. Until then, they're not. And then
1: the fog <laughs> and the cave. And I think that is one of the most evocative and terrifying scenes I've ever read. Do when you? Yeah, it, when the tide's coming in and they're mm. basically being crushed mm. in this. Yeah. And there's people flying off the, the diving into the sea. and yeah. um, I think
0: the, the, the terribly poignant thing for me is, is I mean, and they all mention this, that Mrs. Jewell is kind of reluctant. And they say, you must lead the women and children. You must. You know, we'll put tie rope around you and, and you jump. And the women and children will follow you. You have to be the leader. And she jumps and the boat, you know, when boats smash against a bigger boat and it slips back, like someone Mm. pulling the chair away, she falls in the sea, and none of the women and children follow her. Yeah. And they all die. I mean, it's a horror, sorry, I'm spoiling here, aren't I? Um, But but it's quite early on. It's quite early on in the book, yeah. Yeah. So um, I think the guilt that comes with that would be extraordinary. Mm. And in Victorian stories, if I I try to read a lot about um, uh, this idea of group psychology and how groups got on together and, and how they found leaders and what happened to groups in difficult situations like that. Mm. Um, there's very little written, particularly in Victorian times, about women in situations like that. Yep. So I had to sort of put her into this group dynamic of these men and work out what might have happened and how she might have managed that
2: Yeah.
0: Um, with this terrible survivor's guilt Yes. Um, that they must have all felt, I think.
1: Yeah, so there's that going on. And then... Um, Having to survive with nothing, with a few matches.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the and that's that, a bit that's
1: nutty and. Such <laughs> a
0: legend. I mean, I just. I had to put that scene in. They have one match left. Mm. And without it, they would all have died. Mm. Because all of the survivors say that. Say the story. But it sounds it sounds like a legend it sounds like something people have talked about around yeah. the fire for 18 months about how this happened and they all go away and tell the same story it's so polished um but it's a lovely story so i put it in it's a
1: great story and just the importance of enough. something hinging on such a tiny thing yeah. as a little stick yeah. of wood yeah yeah and how then you'd have to keep the fire going
0: 18 months to get the fire going yeah. yeah
1: yeah oh dear dear um so, yeah, yeah <laughs> dear, I was just thinking, dear, dear, I would not be good in that situation no, well, but, yeah. but imagine
0: mrs Jewell. Yeah.
1: how did you get in her head then as a character
0: ah uh, i i just i kind of like victorian woman i've done a lot of research in Victorian woman, and i i just yeah i I like the fact that she would have to undergo extraordinary change, you know, and if you're a writer you you want a character who's forced to. Undergo change. Mm-hmm. You know that's what makes a story a story. You have a, somebody, um you, you have your nar- your narrator who's one person. At the end of the story, they've changed through yes. what's happened to them. That's what makes a story. And you know, I, I didn't have to make people have to make this up usually. But for me, I'm in mean, real life through more at Mrs. Jewell, through more challenges at Mrs. Jewell than I could ever have invented. Yeah, you know. So I, I didn't. I love this idea of this fragile woman becoming the strong woman at the end of it. Um, not because she wanted to, but because she was forced to, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and she, I think it's one of the great survival stories, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, it's a incredible. great woman's survival story. And mm. I kind of thought, well, why, why doesn't everybody know about this woman? Mm. I think she's amazing.
1: And the cold. Oh, yeah. my gosh, the cold. And they've got nowhere to live. And they're yeah. all...
0: And they've got, they've got, um, you fall into the sea, and then you row for three days in a boat. And you kind of write that down, and you think, oh, yeah. And then you start to think about it. I mean, I've jumped into the sea a lot and never with my clothes on, never with a Victorian dress on mm-hmm. and then you get out and you have a warm shower and you think oh that was brisk yes mm-hmm. um but to do it for, for seven, three days and, yeah. and eat raw penguins.
1: And to be wet the whole
0: time. <laughs> be wet the and whole time. Hungry and, 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 frozen. and thirsty. And yeah. the
1: whole thing. Yeah.
0: I went out to pick up the paper the other day and I, it was barefoot and it was kind of wet concrete. I thought, oh, this is freezing. This is freezing. <laughs> I ran down the road and ran back. It's freezing. It's freezing. Yeah. Odd. You know, I have no idea. No, that's yeah. it. I
1: suppose it gives us perspective. What would Mrs. Jewell do? Yeah, and what was Jewell's Jewell's did doing she do? It. And there are photos. There's a fo- great photo in the back mm. of the book, isn't there? Of mm. you. There's the photo of you. That's lovely and but there's also one of them in the clothes that yeah. she made for yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. Well, she
0: and Tia made them together. I think Tia did most of... He was the. He was kind of the, the man who knew how to do everything, yeah. A, apparently. Yeah. Um, and most of the stories, most of the testimonies say that Tia taught them how to sew. He made the needles for them. He made the thread for them. He encouraged and sat them down. I gave Mrs. Jewell perhaps a bit more agency than she yeah, might really she have had have to. Yeah. In, that, in that regard. Mm. But, um, yeah, I imagine that's what that... Is one thing she had to do, sitting and, in, and, but they were good clothes, you know. Everybody remarked on them when they came back, um, mm. it, that, how, how cleverly the clothes were made, and making suits, yeah, you know. I mean, why would you make a suit? It's just yeah. it was beyond belief, you know. But, and they actually made this Victorian dress for her, yeah. why didn't they make her a pair of trousers? I know, something practical. Because they made her a dress, yeah, because <laughs> that's what you do. But can you imagine lumping a sealskin dress around? Uh, you know? no. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> terrible thought,
1: no. And then they were sick and all that kind of thing, yeah.
0: A lot of dysentery, a lot of scurvy. Oh, a lot of
1: dysentery. Yeah, and th- and that's rendered so brilliantly in the book as well that you sort of read it with your eyes squinting and, and one, one eye closed at the I did a lot of, of research for
0: that and used to talk about it at dinner that I'd go off and Paul was my husband was saying, Oh and what's Mrs. Jewel up to days up to today? So <laughs> tell him about the scurvy <laughs> and the in the, ditch. the wounds and the yeah, pooing in <laughs> the ditch and the and he's
2: oh okay.
1: <laughs> okay, great. Right, back Sorry to the he asked. Yeah. <laughs> Which is your favourite book, baby?
0: Oh. Hell. I don't know probably mrs jewell i think yeah because
1: yeah. do, do you i love them all yeah you must love them all and are there things we've only got a minute left of recording time but um are there things that you wish you'd done in your previous two that you have the now have the facility to do in mrs jewell
0: i think like every novelist i'm growing with every book yeah. um, and i'm learning more but I still quite often go back and read your name because I quite like it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so um yeah, I'm quite proud of that one I think particularly. Um No, I don't I don't not particularly, no. They're they're a, a part of me at that time. Yeah. Um
1: Great attitude. Yeah. 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 And wonderful book babies they are too and I've very much enjoyed all three of them Thank you Luke. and we look forward to uh, the sequel to Displaced does it have a working title
0: uh, it's called the incline:
1: the incline mm. great Hills railway. Oh brilliant mm. yeah that's familiar landscapes excellent um, thanks so much for your time today Thank you Sanders me. award-winning author. it's been our pleasure to have you Thanks Lou Cheers oh.
0: This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawks Bay, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.